Hey, family. Today, Siegel Atzman, the founder of Medics, is joining us for what I think you'll agree is an incredible conversation. Siegel actually had the, uh, some would say audacity, I think tenacity, to move from one career to another at the highest professional level. She actually didn't think she had it in her to study and become a doctor. Yet, her career soon taught her that she wanted to impact the field of healthcare, and she made all kinds of incredible decisions and efforts to create medics, which is serving in over 90 countries from over 300 doctors with in-home care. And she's a fan of digitalized medical treatments as well. So I'm so excited for you to meet her as a woman, as an entrepreneur, as an innovator, and as one of the most sound thinking people on planet Earth. Please enjoy the conversation. Seagull, it is so exciting to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. This is an honor, a pleasure. Um, I've been waiting for this opportunity to have a great conversation with you. Thank you so much. Well, you know, that is mutual. And I'll tell you why. For you to have achieved so much around an industry that really needs you is incredible. I just want to jump right in and have you tell us, how did it all start? Well, I'll tell you a personal story and then maybe a little bit more serious details. I was a good student in school, but not the best one. But I really, really wanted to become a doctor. By the way, I don't share that with my children that I wasn't a great student and just an okay <laughs> one, but they don't really ask for it. So it's okay. Um, anyway, I really wanted to become a doctor. I actually wanted to become a pediatrician. But tell you what, I didn't think I was smart enough. I didn't think I could go through medical school and learn for so many years so many things by heart, all these names, all these, it looked like phone books, you know, many years ago, we didn't have those mobiles as a child, we had phone books and you had to look someone up by his name. So I thought, how am I gonna do this? I'm not smart enough. So I eventually gave up on my dream and I was born by the way in Belgium. And in Belgium, everyone gets into medical school, but after the, the first year, 80% are kicked out because they're not good enough. And I- So really you know, everybody's thinking, Seagull, you know, everybody's thinking Poirot right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so I, I, I really gave, gave up on it. And I went and studied economics in law in Switzerland. And so, so people laugh at me and they say, well, that's not that bad. Well, for me, it wasn't medicine. And I, and, and, but still, I went into a career in finance and investment. And I did really well and I had executive position and slowly I fought my way up and I, I really worked hard and, and it was great. I ended up in my last position uh, managing a book of 4.6 billion US dollars. I lived across different countries, Belgium, Switzerland, the UK, Israel. I've stayed a while in, in the States. It was really very passionate and, and I did great. And I got married, had three children. But then, you know, this thing came back to me, haunted me. This passion never went away. And well, I was too old to have uh, to go to medical school. And I still didn't think I was smart enough. 
but I really wanted to do something in the healthcare space. And it was working and working in my mind, but I couldn't set my mind to it. And then I went for my first mammography. I won't tell you what age I was because I wasn't the youngest anymore and definitely not young enough to go to medical school and not smart enough. <laughs> um, but I was sitting in the, I was actually sitting in the waiting room, right? And this, and, and I was an executive woman and I, I was sitting and what do I do when I have five more moments of time? What, what, what do you do when you sit in the waiting room waiting for a doctor to call your name? What do you do? You're on a call, right? That's right. So I was talking to someone and she tells me, where are you? What's that background noise? And I tell her, well, I'm waiting for my mammogram. And she says, are you afraid? And that's the moment where it, it hit me, but I actually spontaneously said, no, I'm not afraid. And she said, okay. And I'm like, oh, really? But I, I should be afraid because in, in 10 minutes from now, maybe my life is going to be turned upside down from this superhero, I thought so at least. Um, you know, I fought my way through where I was. I was going to turn into a coping mode. I was going to have to figure out is my diagnosis correct? Who's the best doctor? What's the best treatment? How my career is going to stop? How am I going to deal with this? And God bless, um, I did not have cancer, but it was that aha moment for me where I said, okay, this is my passion. I'm healthy. I need to take everything I've learned during my career and do something in healthcare and revenge maybe thinking that I wasn't smart enough. Because, you know, to everyone who's listening to us, I hope that I'm some kind of an example for my children, but for all the young people out there. And, and if they don't think they're smart enough, well, they should never give up on their dreams. And I actually went after my dream. I didn't become a doctor, but for me, I did something even better. Um, and I went and started researching, trying to understand What's going on in the healthcare space? What do people need? How does that triangle between the payer, the doctors, the providers, and the patients, how is the decision-making going? And that's in back in 2006, July actually, I decided, okay, I'm letting everything behind, everything go. I took everything I had, all the money I had on the side, all my savings. I went to my husband and I said, I'm going to quit everything. And I'm going to create a company, hopefully that's going to make a difference in people's lives. It was just not enough for me to make sure people improve their investments and had a good return. I wanted to save lives. I wanted to connect with this passion of this really meaningful purpose. And it was hard. It was really hard. Uh, but we pulled through. And here we are today. So that's my story. Oh, wow. That is such a beautiful introduction to who you are. And there are so many pieces in there that we can talk about. One in particular I'm interested in because with my line of work, we're always escorting people into jobs and careers and stay with them along their work progression. Um, you mentioned in the context of getting into healthcare, something that I think is very important to share with people. And I'd love your message and your thought on it. A lot of times, you know, we're talking with people who've gone to university and once they've completed their course of study and depending on where they study, sometimes that can be very expensive. Other places it won't be as, but 
they find that they're really not uh, certificated in the area that they want to work in, or they work for a bit and they find out, wow, I just, are you saying I got this degree and, you know, I'm not happy here? A lot of people have recognized that over COVID, maybe even later in their work history that they just want to change up. But you did something all those years ago that I think can be teaching and enlightening for people. You didn't let the degree you had stop you from fulfilling the dream you had. I'd love you to talk about that because, you know, it sounds charming to hear you say it, but I'm sure you had to put work into that and you had to um, make some serious decisions, not just on your behalf, but from a family perspective as well. Absolutely right. And, and I'm happy to talk about it. And, um, you know, I always tell people, go get a degree, not because it will, you know, if you want to be a doctor, well, you need to go and study medicine. If you really want to be a lawyer, you need to study law, right? And you need to get your bar exam. But I didn't know, I knew I wanted to be a doctor, but I really didn't think I was smart enough. So I didn't do it. And then I said, well, the other passion that I have um, but I didn't know if I could even work down that route is to go into companies that are not working well and try and fix them to be this kind of fixer, you know? Um, so companies in retail or in, or in, or in any, any kind of business, I like change. I like diversity. I like to dive into different topics at different times. And that was another dream and tell you what, I didn't even pursue that one either in the beginning because you don't get what you dream about or of immediately coming, hanging out of the, you know, and, and you walk down the road and it comes and it tells you, oh, here, you're a dream job. And I didn't even know what exactly I wanted to study, but I knew I wanted a degree because a degree doesn't always give you um, a profession, but it gives you the tools to think differently, to manage data, to, to read, to, to, to write academically, it gives you tools that you wouldn't have otherwise. So also, a degree- Siegel, Siegel, I think, and I, I, I'd be interested to know if you agree, I think it also demonstrates early in your career, regardless of when you're getting this degree, I think it demonstrates your ability to decision and path forward in something, to have a point of completion around something that is significant. Absolutely right. I fully agree with you. Absolutely. So I went and studied and, and then I went in a completely different way. I went into just simply investments. It wasn't on my pathway. It wasn't a specific dream, but I started working in investments when in an, as an analyst, a very, very super junior uh, analyst during my studies and slowly, you know, got some skills improved. And, and moved on and, and went up and up in, in, in the different positions. Um, the degree was just important to develop different skills, to learn to think differently, to complete something that is not easy for everyone. And I really, I tell everyone, go get a degree and it's okay if you don't know exactly what you wanna be or become, or if, it, or if life takes you on another path that you expected or you thought, you can always make a best out of it. And every, you know, every time in your life is just a beginning and an end of something that will take you somewhere else. 
And I there is opportunity I, everywhere. Don't you think so? Oh my goodness, I do. And I'll tell you, I think that there are some distinct ways we can do that because, you know, a lot of companies now for people who are looking to be hired in, and you took an entrepreneurial path, that's what we're talking about. But a lot of companies who are, and, and people who are looking to be hired in will use experience-based knowledge if you can defend it, if you can reference it. Uh, but, and a lot of companies are looking at various levels of degree, which I think align very well with your story. While you got a full degree, there are people who also are getting community college degrees that feel complete. Absolutely. I think your point is make sure you're investing in learning and having the equivalent of exactly. that experience to be able to put forward. And I think there's one more thing I'd like you to talk about. And I was thinking about this as I was uh, considering all the incredible work you've done, which we'll talk about as well. Uh, Siegel, you may have actually brought a better readiness for the path you took in healthcare. Even if you have a degree from a college that's not one of the greatest, right? Or you do not have a degree, you might still be very good and you might make it better than some people with a degree, right? So yes, a degree in today's world is important, no doubt, right? Education of any kind is important because it helps you um, overcome your fears, your your you, your limits, it, take, it stretches you, it's, it takes you somewhere else, but it's all about um, believing and dreaming. And, and I'll tell you something, I'll tell you two things. One of the people that I work with is a genius in maths. And he created a company, a startup um, that has gone um, on NASDAQ in, for billions. He doesn't have a degree, okay? I have conversations with him and I feel almost stupid next to him. He's so smart and he doesn't have a degree, right? Now I'm not encouraging people not to have degrees. I'm encouraging people to look inside them and to dare being themselves. And if even if that's different than the normal path, it's gonna grow you. And if you believe in yourself, you can, you can achieve and you can do. You have to work really hard at it and fight through all the challenges. And there are a lot of them but it's possible. Siri, that's really interesting. And I think it's so helpful. And, um, you know, what else can you say on that though? You know, um, admedics, when we hire people and you're a big expert in, all, in, in the human resources and all that, um, we have different tests that people undergo. There is a psychometric test where we, we look at your different skills in different areas and a personality test that looks at your different sides of your personality that assesses your adaptability, your conformism, if you're a conformist person or not, if you're trust, a lot of different areas. And when I started in, in with this new HR person who, who joined us and recommended this system, I said, you know, before I have people that we wanna hire do the test, I'm gonna have it myself. And I'm going to try and cheat the system. I know interviewing quite well. I've interviewed myself a lot and I interviewed so many people. So I'm going to try and beat the system and not show my downsides, right? And I'm gonna try and answer really perfectly. And actually um, what came out is that I am a non-conformist person. 
I don't always go by what is expected and by the route, right? By the simple predispositioned expected route. And it made me think a lot. And I think it is an important thing to believe in yourself and to dare going out of what is just purely expected from you, from your family, from your community. You can dream bigger, you can become bigger, and you can get out of the ranks and do something significant at any point of time in your life. And I look for people when we, we use that system today. And when I interview, I look for people that are a lot of times out of the box and non-conformists. Do you agree with that? Do you, do you feel it's, am I doing people justice or? I think you're doing people justice. I think you're also doing humanity justice. Let me suggest this. Um, if you're going to hire people who simply go along with what's there, you haven't enhanced anything. You hit on something that I really want your encouragement or your perspective on as well. You know, many of the people who are listening right now are making decisions about their careers. And am I in it for too long to make a switch? Or is switching too risky? You know, um, because you studied work and then made one of the most dramatic switches into one of the most um, needed and profound professional industries and you did it without that degree for that industry, what would you message to people who maybe are considering um, either a passion switch to do what they truly love or simply wanting to test themselves forward? How do you talk to them when they've got house notes, they've got children, they've got these things that are every day they're taking care of and yet they want to do something from in here? First of all, it is challenging and they have to acknowledge that it's never going to come the easy way, but that makes it even more pleasurable maybe because when you get there, you have such a, a, a feeling of fulfillment, right? So although it's difficult, it is something that you have to build within yourself and it's not your degree or not who you've been for many years that can take you the step a higher level the step forward right it's about for me adaptability i look at people and i say the world is changing all the time two years ago we were traveling i was traveling three weeks at least a month crossing six different countries and then i was stranded for a year technology uh, information data analytics ai everything is changing we need and we must have each one of us at any age, when you're 18, when you're my age and in between, learn to be very adaptive. Mm -hmm. And human, human humanity is adaptive. They adapt very fast to political changes. They adapt very fast to new situations. Look at how adapted, adaptive we were uh, to this pandemic. People stayed at home and, and we a lot of people are struggling. We've seen mental health going through the roof, home, um, Staying at home hasn't been easy for a lot of people. Jobs were lost. Still, we're there. We're thriving. We're fighting through this. Um, people go back to work. People woke up from this pandemic and said, I want change. So there are good things coming out of hardship. So I say, work your adaptability. Dream your dreams. Be the best you can 
in anything you undertake. And it doesn't really matter what it is. And it can be a small job for a certain period of time that's gonna take you to a better place. And even if you don't like it, make the best out of it and work your way to what is your next chapter in life. And it's all about having chapters, having stories, living experiences, opening windows and doors. Otherwise, I don't think a person can be happy. And I personally, and medics at, at, at our group, I'm looking for people who want to be happy, who are willing to work hard to be happy, and are willing to be helped to be happy. I want to make people happy. I work really hard, like you, right? Um, we work how many hours a day? 18, probably, right? We can't, and we can't say it out loud because it goes against all the teachings on health and mental health and physical health, but we are working a lot of hours and we're we putting a lot into those hours. Exactly. But what are we taking a lot of pride and fulfillment out of? Out of helping people grow, making a difference, saving lives. You know, you've put so many people on the right career paths. You've helped so many people fulfill themselves, become better people. This is, this is why I wake up for this in the morning and I say, it's worth it to work another 18 or 16 or whatever hours a day, right? It's worth it because I love looking at people and saying, she started working for us, she or he, they weren't so um, secure or adaptive. They weren't so, rounded you know it's about today you're doing this but don't be afraid of tomorrow doing something else even within the same corporate or the same environment talk to different people and yet there are challenges we have you know the, the cultural challenges i don't know if if you know and if you've read but we have offices in 13 different countries we yes. service customers and patients in over 90 different countries we have people in Singapore, in India, in China, Shanghai, Melbourne, um, Hong Kong, London, Munich, New York, etc. Putting all these different cultures together and trying to bring the same consistent message of we're all different, but we're all here to be happy, to make each other happy, to have a meaningful purpose and to work at it together and to make a difference in people's lives. And that's my message, adapt yourself and bring yourself, each one of you out there to make your dream come true. It can happen, but you have to want it and you have to believe in it and work really, really hard. And it's painful, but it's worth every second. Well, you're certainly evidence of that, not just in how you're enjoying life, but how many others are getting to enjoy life because of the work you do. And we're going to come to that as well. Before we go there, I really want to just um, lean in on something you said. You mentioned all of us have our stories and those stories have chapters. And so how we write those chapters of our lives are what really make up the story, not where we are right now. Take us back a little bit. Who was Siegel before you became this professional? What was growing up like for you? What did you think about? How did that impact who you are right now? Let us know you a little bit, Siegel. There's so much that I am impressed with. And I continue to think, wow, once we're through this pandemic, I want to have tea with her. She's an incredible oh. How did you get to I'm be happy to have tea person? with you anytime? Let's how, get how together somewhere in the world and have tea. 
Hey, how did you get to be this incredible person? And by the way, I'd love to have it in Belgium so I can have some of that chocolate as well. <laughs> Anytime, just give me a date and we're on. Yeah, um, but, but you know, how did you, but what was growing up like for you? Well, I mean, how, how, did, how did that impact you and what was it like? I will tell you, and I don't know it's, if this is really something that people like hearing, but I'm honest about it and I'll tell you. I think that what maybe made me what I am today or built me through the different chapters of my life and, and gave me this thing that made me pull through is having on one side, very caring parents, um, very loving parents who gave me a lot of support and freedom, a lot of independence, but we had a lot of hard times. So I was born into a family that was okay financially, I, I went, I, I, I didn't miss any food on the table or we were fine, doing fine. My parents, my, my father was working. My mom was taking care of, of, the, of her three children, but I had, I still have, but he's, he's older than me, six year older than me. And I won't tell you on, online how old I am because then you, you will realize that I'm old. <laughs> but, I'm probably um, older, anyway. but I'm okay with it. <laughs> But anyway, so um, from a very young age, he was suffering from a psychiatric illness. And in the beginning, he was at home. And then he was put in a psychiatric hospital. And that has turned my family life as a child quite upside down. And I think it took some parts of my childhood away. I, I had to become an adult very early on because it was very difficult for my parents to handle. They felt guilty. They felt maybe they had done something wrong. And why did he turn up like that? And, and could he have done something different? You know, I think a lot of people, a lot of parents um, beat themselves up for thinking they could have done something better. And I constantly tell everyone, do the best you can and tell yourself every day that you've done the best you can. And if you know you've put all the efforts in, there's nothing else you could have done. And a lot of things are not in our hands, right? Uh, this pandemic is not in our hands, a, a family member having cancer or a grandparent having Alzheimer or Parkinson or you name it, right? There are so many hardships in life. And growing up with, with this baggage was difficult. It was devastating for my parents. It was in the house. And then it was going to psychiatric hospitals to visit him at a very young age. And it was taking care of my parents who were really having a rough time. I also had a little brother I had to support um, helping and taking care of. So I think that um, we had different losses. We, we had uh, different people who died in our family. So it was a combination of loving, caring, a very united family, but maybe getting um, an adult quite early and taking on responsibilities and understanding that life is not just an easy ride where you waltz through parties and you go to school, get good grades and uh, go on your sweet 16 and get a car and, and, and have your first love and, and then go off to college and that's it. And I actually think that hardship is good. Hardship builds. And people should learn to look at their hard times in life as a gift, as something that you can grow from and learn from. And I know it sounds maybe for all the people out there who are suffering and having a hard time, they might say, well, from where you sit, Sigal, right now, it's easy to say. 
Well, everyone has it, has their hard times. And I pulled a lot of tears for different reasons at different periods of my life, but I pulled through and that made me a better person. And I'm sure that all the people who are having a hard time become a better person. And I wish for everyone to have a bit of good time, a bit of hard time, a lot of warmth and love and care. And I think that's what actually built me. And then parents who really gave me a lot of independence and strength and always told me, you have to be independent. You have to work. Do not rely on anyone to make you happy or to give you a good life. You go get it by yourself and then share it with someone. And that's a message that I think is crucial and was crucial. And they really hammered it in me every day, every day, independence financial independence, uh, do what you, you know, pursue what your, your passions, become someone, do it for yourself and don't rely on others to do it for you. And I think that made it, um, made it happen. Wow. 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 Oh, Siegel. Yeah. We're going to have that tea. I can tell you that. Can we talk a little bit about medics? Because I visited some of the, and I encourage everybody to just visit uh, some of the testimonials that are on your website at Medics and uh, the stories that people are sharing and how their lives changed, how their opportunity to live changed and the, uh, the calmness and the care that um, with which they received that. Um, we didn't really talk a lot about uh, that so far. And I can't have a conversation with you without I mean, how does that make you feel when you see the way you're changing lives for people who have been prescripted one direction or needing help and not being able to find it? And you've got these professionals who are delivering this kind of care in over 70 countries. So it's one of the biggest honors for me and the most fulfilling pleasures that, that and it's 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 some it's a gift I got it's something that that maybe um was given to me and and I really work hard to deserve it and I try to really reach out and make a difference so it started small it started with the with a vision of making a difference in people's lives and to putting together a, a, a process that objectively supports people in making their best medical decisions at their most challenging times. You know, when you go to a doctor and you get a specialist and you get a diagnosis of a very serious medical condition that might um, really interfere with the quality of your life or even cut your life short, it's dramatic. And, and how exactly can a person at that so confusing moment make rational decisions when he doesn't have the information at hand and what he gets is always subjective? Because when you go and ask a doctor, what's the best treatment? First of all, he will offer you, and he might be the best doctor in the world in a very specific treatment or surgery, and really the number one, but he's just the best in that. And it, yes, if surgery is the thing you need, then you should see him, but maybe there is an alternative for your surgery. And maybe the diagnosis is not even correct, right? You know, America spends billions of dollars on a yearly basis as a healthcare system to avoid medical mistakes, giving the wrong medication, 
um, making sure the, or you operate on the right leg if it needs to be the right one, you're not operating on the left one, that prescriptions in the hospital are, giving in the right, are given in the right dosage. No one is stopping and in, in, in insurance company are, companies are looking at, 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 at codes, right? What is the code of your condition and does your claim match that condition? But no one actually pours, pours millions and billions into saying, hold on a second, maybe your diagnosis is not correct. It's not about prescribing the right dosage for a, for a, a treatment. It's about let's look a second in a multidisciplinary and holistic way where the diagnosis is correct. We could avoid those mistakes by first getting the right diagnosis and making sure all the tests have been done. And then so looking Siegel, at what the- Siegel, Siegel this yeah. one gentleman I saw in one of the testimonials, I was uh, in tears. He had received treatment. I think he was from uh, Jersey, uh, not New Jersey, but uh, UK. And he had received treatment for a pituitary illness that he did not have. And yeah. he was taking increased doses of medicine uh, right. to help him get better when actually it was making him worse. And then your team came in. Are these regular type stories? Because as you're talking about uh, the importance of uh, owning a participation in our diagnosis, not just our uh, health uh, 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 protocols. I think it's important for people to understand what you're saying, and maybe many have their relationships to that as well. You know, I think it's important to double check every diagnosis you get, to look really into it, to make sure you've done all the right tests, to see different doctors, and to Everyone deserves the right to have information, to have access to information, object, objective information, and not just accessibility to healthcare. It's about transparency, information, and making sure that you have the tools to make the right decisions. You know, if you look many years ago, the doctor was a little bit God and whatever he prescribed, you would just do it. That's not, and that shouldn't have been, and that's not the case today anymore. People are empowered and they should have the tools. And that's exactly what we try to give them day in, day out uh, to make best possible decisions. Now, not all stories are like the ones you've heard. I, I have even stories that are even more mind blowing, but we also have stories and they're equally important where a person who has cancer and is not trusting the diagnosis or the treatment is actually put in confidence that we've turned every stone and yes unfortunately this is the diagnosis but we're gonna and you, the treatment you're on is the best possible treatment and mm -hmm. that is your chance to recover that is equally important right it's important for people to know if they're doing the right thing or they're doing the wrong thing and and i would hope that more and more and more people with would have access to these type of, of very objective and holistic services we're well, trying really hard well, and it's working beyond you, my expectations. Oh my goodness, beyond your expectations, you are truly delivering an angel service. And um, we, you know, we're in the winter season celebrations, regardless of where you live in the world. And I I just see you as being an angel. We we're, we're want to think about that during this time of year. I I 
I love what you're doing. And I don't want to get emotional about it right now, but the way you are impacting lives is incredible, truly incredible. I am so grateful you had the vision, you had the determination and the ability to uh, pursue what was in your heart because it's truly saving the lives of many and improving the lives of so many more. Um, let's have a little fun. Let's play four for four. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna ask <laughs> four questions and you're gonna give me four oh answers to those questions, okay? And the first one is, <laughs> hey Seagull, um, you are hosting a dinner party. And you can invite anyone from any time in history, past to present, to your dinner. Who's coming and why? Okay, this question is a very big compliment for me. And I will tell you why. Because when I interview a person, I ask that person the same question. And I did not know you were going to ask me that question. So if you ask that question, and I'm doing... What you do, that's a compliment for me. Okay, so usually when I ask that question, I ask them for someone that's alive. Okay, that would be possible because otherwise I would, you, you come up with Churchill and Mandela and Lincoln, which I would love to have dinner with. I mean, that's such a turning point in our history, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I would like to have dinner with people that I don't understand and that I would like to dig their minds and I would like to get them to know them better so that maybe this world can be a better place and, and dig deeper. So it's not that I like them, but I do wanna have dinner with them. So one of them would be Putin. I would like to understand how his mind really works, right? What is he really after? What is, um, is it personal? Is it ego or is it ideology, right? I don't know. It's difficult to know. And, and Putin-like or Edwan, Erdogan are people I would like to have dinner with so that I can ask them very tough questions because our world needs to become a better place. And I would like to engage with them to try and make that work. Having dinner with Obama would be a big pleasure but he's already made this world a better place. So that would be easy. I would go in, in the more difficult pathway, probably. So you've got one person at dinner right now, Putin. You get to invite three more because they're all sitting at the same table with you. Ah, okay. Okay. Three more. So, wow. So I would absolutely invite, um, if I could bring them back, I would invite one of my favorite people, but she's not with us anymore, but she had her birthday lately, Maria Callas. I'm very a big fan of opera and she's my favorite number one. She had a tragic life. She suffered tremendously and she was a unique person. Um, I think her charm and her voice might open Putin's heart to a more honest and open conversation. And that would be always very useful. I would probably bring Churchill back um, because that would be an interesting uh, counterpart to discuss with Putin and Erdogan. So we have three, four people there um, that, would, that would make probably a good conversation. If I could, I would bring Obama. I'm a big fan of Obama, but um, 
I don't know if that would work at that table that <laughs> evening. He's done so well already. I mean, I would like, I'm sorry, I have to bother you with, with that again, but I would love to have him at the table. <laughs> well, he'd likely accept your invitation for the opportunity around exactly what you're looking to do. All of us want a great world where we all can sit at the table together, regardless of where we're coming from uh, in our perspectives. Let's go two for four. What music are you listening to right now and why? Four. Okay. Okay. So as I said, Maria Callas is my is is really some some place very important in my heart. I also like um, classical music and my son likes classical music and he shared with me one of the most beautiful versions of the, the big mess from Mozart, which I've listened to yesterday. It gives me this inner quiet and and I can feel, you know, we're so busy and we're working and we're active and we're in being busy and giving the extra mile of ourselves and the best of ourselves all the time. And when I listen to classical music of this type or to Aretha Franklin, um, for example, it just closes everything around me, gives me this inner peace and quiet. I connect with her voice, with her hardships, with her, with her lives, with her music. Um, I love soul music and it just, I, think I can have Aretha, tears just yeah. from listening to music. Yeah, and I think Aretha actually did a classical piece when a friend of hers couldn't show up and it shocked everybody. And then on retrospect, they were like, but yeah, that voice is that voice. And it really was able exactly. to emote the, the uh, message of the music. Do you remember that? I don't think I've seen it, but I've heard about it. And oh. she was so, she could just turn every situation and just manage everything with her voice and her just being there, right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Nessun Dorma, she's saying in 19... Oh, wow. This is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she stepped in for Pavarotti. One of my favorite pieces. Yeah. I will listen to it tonight. Well, you may be able to find it on YouTube. She stepped in for Pavarotti. He couldn't make it. And um, it was a very last minute thing. And they say that she delivered that so much that he was in tears. She delivered it so well. Um, and people were shocked. Elizabeth Franklin, Queen of Soul, singing this, you know. Uh, but Pavarotti. I should not say this on record, but if I have to choose between tickets for Pavarotti and Franklin, I go for Aretha Franklin. Okay, well, go listen on YouTube and see if your opinion holds because she really did that. I, one more, one more who you're listening to. Sure. Okay. Um, I don't do pop. I don't, it just, I mean, I can enjoy it here and there, but it's not my, my real thing. I could do a good disco uh, evening with, um, you know, um, music from the 70s but I'm more into soul or really classical music. I love a lot of things that are, I love um, violin and I love, I love cello. Um, it just, I can go on an airplane, listen to Requiem of Mozart or Tchaikovsky piano or to Maria Callas in my, and I can just cry. And it takes all the pressure away, all the stress away. 
and it reminds me how beautiful life, life is. And it allows you to feel all the different colors of your feelings just by yourself. So, You're so right. You're so right. Uh, or even to allow you, yeah, yeah, or even to allow you to uh, just feel and express it forward. Uh, one of the things that I've done over COVID that I think I will continue and carry out of COVID is I'll put on Chopin and I'll just listen to it. And a lot of people think Chopin is pretty light. And if you're really into classical, you know, he doesn't count. But I love Chopin's music as I'm painting. You know, it's a great backdrop. Wow, you're painting. Wow. Yeah. yeah. What, what kind, how do you paint? What do you paint? Oh, okay. So I'm really enjoying uh, doing the... Um, uh, 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 watercolors. I love them. I wow. am so amateur On that paper. I feel I feel a little more legitimate in that lane. Uh, but oddly enough, I am doing portraiture in watercolor. I I wow. I, I for the portrait, first year, this is really difficult. Yeah, well, for the first year of COVID, you know, it was flowers, it was vases. You know, I'm not really an abstract painter. Uh, I do like my kids joke and they call me Mama Tease. Uh, um, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you spend a lot of time painting. I don't get a lot of time to paint. So when I have precious time, I really enjoy it that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. OK, you gave me an opportunity to listen to something uh, by Rita Franklin I hadn't listened to. I would recommend you to listen to one of my favorite pieces by Rachmaninoff. It's the second concerto of Rachmaninoff. Every time it takes me, you count till 10, and I start crying of oh. happiness, of beauty. And it's just the most colorful and beautiful and deep tears you can have. Tears I will can make listen you happy. to the second. I will listen to the second by Rachmaninoff, and I will do it today before the day is over. I promise I will you listen. That. I love the referral. I, I really one do. One of my favorite pieces. Shall we go three for four? Sure. What, what four books are you reading now that you would recommend to our family? Now, you know, we refer to all of our listeners as our family. So we care about them and we share the things that we think are truthful, that are helpful and hopefully inspiring. What four books do you recommend to our family under that uh, topic? Okay. Um, I know a lot of people cannot travel right now, but you can go online and you can look. Um, I've been to an exposition, an arts exposition um, in Paris. I just came back from Paris uh, two days ago. And it was one of the most beautiful expositions I've been in years. And I like going to museums when I have a few moments of time. And I actually saw um, the collection, the private collections of the brothers Morozov. The brothers Morozov are two brother, Russian brothers, pre-communism time. So around the end of uh, 1890 something in the beginning of 19. Um, and they started looking at art and buying art. They bought Van Gogh, Cezanne, Gauguin, um, a lot of different art when they weren't even famous or they were worth nothing. It's one of the most impressive, moving. It got me so emotional. It was so beautiful um, that I actually went and bought the book about their lives. 
and I can, I can, I shouldn't show you the book actually, but it's here on my table. It's Please the, show the it. Brother. Show it if you want. Oh, show it. Oh, you can't hear. It's okay. the brother. It, I read it in French actually. I speak six languages, so I like to kind of switch languages. But you have it in English as well. It's about the brothers Morozov, and it shares the story of their lives, how they grew up in Russia, how they became art lovers and passionate about art, and how they started buying art. That, that museum was moving beyond words and um, I really, really enjoyed it. And the book is fascinating. I don't know enough about Russia. So I've, and it really, it takes you like on a travel to another world, another time. And in these difficult pandemic times after the two years we've been through, I think it's good to read books that take you far away to other times, to history. Um, it's like traveling again. I'm, I like different cultures. I like different tastes, different, you know, um, different weathers, different countries. It's all about embracing differences. And that was one way. Um, another book I recommend is a book by Khalil um, Gibran called The Prophet. And it's actually very philosophical about um, beautiful meanings about life. And I think it's it's nice and everyone can take it to its own place. And it also takes you away from what you know, what, you know, again, being non-conformist, opening up your mind to different ways. And then you have the Ernest Hemingway that um, sometimes I pick up again and again from whom um, the bells toll. And, and, and then I go back to sometimes books that I are my favorite that I read when I was very, very young and I like to read them again because you suddenly get a different perspective. Uh, so I like Kundera, Milan Kundera books very much. Um, and one of my favorite is Albert Cohen, La Belle du Seigneur. It's a, Belle du Seigneur, it's a, one of the most beautiful, painful love stories in the world. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. You have given us some rich stuff. And you know, the prophet keeps cropping up as a favorite for people. Um, really? Yeah, it really does, Siegel. Um, so thank you. Thank you for sharing. Well, we're headed to four for four. What four pieces of advice have you been given over your life that you think have had a tremendous impact for you that you would love to share with our folks? And can wow. you share who gave you the advice and why you think it's so important or impactful? The first one is clearly my mom. Um, she took care of her children in the most beautiful and warm way. Um, and she did not get, she grew up in a house where, where I feel in retrospect, girls were less than boys. Girls had to get married or were supposed to get married. Um, bring up their children, stay more at home, and they were not looked at as an opportunity for self-fulfillment, career, independence. They should, they were expected to thrive in a different way. And she never really got a degree or she never made her dreams come true besides being a great, great mom and a huge supporter. And she's this super warm-hearted person. And she told me, independence, hard work, independence, but you have to be a faculty more and more the way 
don't get right for the time. Be warned nothing and nothing, but fight for your independence. Become someone by your own merit, by your own, based on what you deserve, and, and go get it. Go work. And she made me work really hard. I wanted to take, for example, a gap six months after high school. And she said, no way, you're going to work and you're going to get your, your degree. And otherwise you can go wipe the streets and you know clean houses, but you're not gonna take a gap year. You're gonna you know, get your life together. And I owe her who I am today. Makes me very emotional. You can hear it in my voice. Mm. Um, so that's one of the Sorry. Oh, I was just so that that was so incredible. What's the second? The second. So the second one is um, so one of the professors that I work with told me in the very beginning when I didn't almost know knew anything know anything about medicine. He told me you're going onto a journey. And you think you might know it, and a lot of doctors think they might know it. But your goal is not just to say what's the best treatment when a person comes walking into your office um, and you get all these great people together to decide and, and give him advice on what's the best treatment is, because that will make him happy, right? But what your goal is, is if he comes walking in with a very rare diagnosis, is to prove the diagnosis wrong. You would serve him so much better if he doesn't have that rare disease. And you can prove that than by giving him the best treatment for a disease he doesn't have, right? Think about it. It's the opposite of what you would think because if someone comes with you with a very serious, difficult and rare condition, you wanna help him with the best treatment. But actually the first thing that you have to do is prove that treatment, that diagnosis to be wrong. And I think that's a very good uh, way to look at the different way at everything. So that's the second. Um, you want another two, right? Yes, yes. And you're yes. batting a thousand, so we could take your advice all day. <laughs> not at all, not at all. I can. I, I want to have tea with you so you can give me some advice. <laughs> We're going to do it. We have to be intentional about it. I hope it. so. I hope so. So the, the other piece of advice um, is my daughter. I actually think people, you know, think of their children like someone they just need to teach or help grow or educate. But no, they teach us a lot, right? Yes. And they and and they make us better people. So I will try to say it really quickly. A few years ago, I had um, a VP marketing, and he was working for me a few years, and. The business was growing triple digits every year, different additional countries. It was really very intense. And he he couldn't, he didn't, he wasn't good that good anymore. And he came and he resigned. And I got really upset. And I told him, this is giving up. You're giving up on yourself. You can get better. It's hard. We're having hard times because we're growing so much, but fight for it. You can. You can develop your skills. I'm here to help you. I'm going to support you. Don't quit. Quitting is, is like you're a quitter. I don't like quitters, right? And I said, I'll put everything possible to support you, but don't be a loser. Fight for it. 
And he said, no, I'm going to leave and I'm quitting. I went with dinner with my family that day to a restaurant and I was very frustrated. And I shared at the table and my, I think she was 19 year old. She told me, mom, take a deep breath and think about it in a different way. And she told me, you know, think of him not as a quitter or a loser. Think of him as a very brave person who feels that he cannot contribute or give you or the organization at this moment of time, what it needs or you expect. Think how brave one person has to be to look at himself in the mirror and say, she needs someone else. She doesn't need, or the organization doesn't need to spend time investing in me to make it work. She needs a person who can make it work. That is bravery, right? Say thank you and be grateful and don't be angry with him. And that was a piece of advice I take with me every day. And she also taught me to listen, to acknowledge better, and to not tell people when, I, when they tell me something, yes, but. She says, when you say but, you immediately give that other person the feeling that he's wrong. Oh my goodness, Siegel. My daughter, when she was very young, and I've said this publicly so many times, taught me that lesson. She said, mom, don't say but. When you say but, it means everything else is, is not true. It doesn't matter anymore. Our daughters should get together for tea. <laughs> she was like four, four, maybe four or five when she said that. And How old is she today? Me. She's in her 30s today, but it's stuck with me all of these years. Oh, wow. Yes, Siegel, we're going to have tea and maybe our daughters will join us. Absolutely. What, oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, what's the fourth piece of advice? Okay, the fourth piece of advice um, is no matter how hard it is, always go with your truth. And don't take these away because it's not going to take you anywhere. And that would, I will try and make it really short. I had a racial crisis uh, in one of my offices. I will tell you even where in Singapore many years ago. I just opened up the office and Singapore is a place where immigrants come from many different countries, right? And I set up the business. It was the first week of, of first month and a half of opening the business. And I had a, a very diversified team and I, brought in an Indian person, a person from India who had lived and studied in Singapore to manage other cultures. I won't exactly say which ones, but different ages, different cultures and different ethnicities. And I had people from the Hong Kong office come and I felt something was wrong in the office. I couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on what, but something was going wrong. And at, after some, some time, I asked that person who came from Hong Kong, who's been working with me for many years, can you please be honest and tell me what is going on in the office? Because I sense since I'm here that something is wrong. And she told me, I know what kind of a person you are and hence I'm gonna tell you what's going on. And I said, tell me. And she told me, they're all collectively going to resign because they refuse to work for an Indian person, a young Indian person. That was like a bomb coming down on me. I'm such an open person. 
that has always been treated and has always treated everyone as equals from the biggest CEO to the anyone who doesn't have a degree or, or hasn't even come to school. I didn't even think that was possible. And I was there and she said, they all prepared their letters and they're going to come to you and say, she's young, she's Indian, either we leave or she leaves. And I went um, home, I spoke to my husband and he told me, you have to listen to yourself, only to yourself, to your own truth and you will know what to do. I called out that Indian person I invited her for uh, lunch the next day and I shared what was going on. And she said, I'm going to leave. And I said, no, you're not going to leave. And she said, you must leave. I'm, I'm gonna, um, you must leave. No, she said, I must leave because otherwise everyone else is gonna leave and your business is going to go down. And she said, I'm leaving. And I said, no, I'm gonna sit there and pick up the phones by myself if needed. And I would fly people from the whole other, from space if needed, from anywhere in the world. But these people are gonna be taught to be open and respectful. And if they want, they can all leave. And it was one of the hardest decisions and most challenging times I had in my life. But I listened to my husband's advice. I listened and I went into my heart and we pulled through, half of the people left, we recruited other people, and we made certain people resign because of their opinions, and we told them they don't fit to our organization, but we also opened up other people and opened their heart to understanding that different ethnicities are equal and everyone can work together really fine. And it worked and she stayed with us for five years after. So that was my husband's advice. And he said, don't go the easy way. Listen to what you have in yourself and you will find your way. Oh my goodness. Siegel, I don't know what's left to say other than thank you. What <laughs> a an cup of tea. <laughs> incredible, incredible visit. Oh my goodness. From my heart to your home, I thank you so much. I thank you, so Siegel. Thank you. So That's people ask Thank you for having me. And I'm looking forward to a cup of tea. Yes.